Welcome to Welcome to Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. Had a relatively slow week in the NBA. Uh, did get the, chan- the chance to uh, check out the Heat versus the Bulls up close and had Kyle Lowry told me uh, tell me that he did not want anything to do with me. They were signing my shoe. Uh, he rejected but, me hard, man. That was that was cold. He rejected me hard. That was it was cold. But you know what? I actually rather have that video than a an autograph. <laughs> I can probably turn it into like an NFT or something. He seems like such a nice guy too. Yeah, he was fine. It was uh, it was fine. But anyhow, go through the weekly recap. Talk about some of the teams that are streaking right now. Continue to catch up with the injury bug, and then talk about some of the. Uh, forgotten guys that are making a comeback and then we'll finish with our new segment arbitration where we will act out a conflict between two sides but to start weekly recap what'd you like that you saw this week and let's touch a little bit on the standings following this week of play Um, two things that stood out to me on the week of play one of them being the Timberwolves who continue to play strong basketball it's almost like it was right on cue. We have a segment about how the Timberwolves may sneak into the playoffs. And then you have the Timberwolves um, go on the first five-game winning streak that I can think of since maybe since they've had Jimmy Butler. Um, I don't know the last time they've won five games in a row. But they actually won five games in a row. And against um, – they even beat the Heat on one of those. And the Heat played a pretty good game. It's just Anthony Edwards is seemingly taking another leap before our eyes midseason – and they've won five of their last six, so um, including a 121-120 win against the 76ers most recently. But they've looked really good. Anthony Edwards in that game against the Heat, which had very much kind of like a playoff feel. They booed Jimmy Butler every time he caught the ball. Um, obviously some bad blood there the way that he left. But it was just impressive to see in a game where you could look at Bam Adebayo, you can look at Jimmy Butler, you can look at Carl Anthony Towns, all these guys that are more experienced. And the one who really showed up was Anthony Edwards um, putting up 33 points, had a plus 19 on the day, six assists, three steals, 14 rebounds, 13 of 27 shooting. And um, obviously one of the nastiest poster dunks that you'll see all year um, when he completely brutalized Gabe Vincent, pretty much clearing his head. It did get called back as a charge. Um, and even as a Heat fan, I'd probably admit that, that was that was a clean dunk, but that was probably one of the, the more impressive um, dunks that you're going to see the whole year. And then another really big matchup was probably, again, um, another Heat game, but the Heat against the Bulls was a really big matchup, probably a playoff preview potentially. Both teams went into that game tied in the loss column, um, separated by half a game for second place. The Heat narrowly take that one. Tyler Hero doesn't play their second leading scorer, and they don't really get a dominant game from any one player. But they had um, kind of like a group contribution from everyone. They had three starters score 16 points or better and got a randomly good game from Gabe Vincent off the bench with 20 points. Having been at that game and gotten there early, Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin were shooting around for like two hours before the game. 
and just practicing pretty much by themselves because a lot of the other players from the heat didn't come out until like actual warmups were uh, or just much later on in the process. So not surprising having been there early, seeing Gabe working on his craft and then getting the minutes, obviously, because hero is out that he ended up putting up those 20 points and just really catching fire in the second half. Yeah, that was definitely an unexpected performance from him. But um, based on whatever else you saw in the week, who do you think had the best individual performance on the week of any one player? Well, we talked about him last week, but D'Angelo Russell has been relatively quiet on the Timberwolves, goes out against the 76ers, plays 44 minutes and scores 35 points, had eight assists to go with uh, four rebounds as well. So I thought that was an impressive performance overall by him, 60% from three, over 60 or over 50% from the field. Um, so impressive from D'Angelo. And then on the flip side of that, also impressive, Joel Embiid in the loss to the Timberwolves had 42 points, 14 rebounds, three assists, two blocks, plus 11, plus minus. So Joel Embiid still trying to carry that team. They're sitting at an even 500 as of the Timberwolves uh, through 20 games, 20 games of play. But really liked uh, that battle uh, that I saw from both of them. And then similarly, battle between the Suns and the Nets has some like finals implications based off of these teams being in the one and two spot of their conferences but the Suns had uh Devin Booker with 30 points uh had four assists to go with 30 points and Kevin Durant on the other side of that had 39 points nine rebounds and seven assists along with four steals so complete game by Kevin great game by Devin and uh those would be my my four best performances and two best games on the week yeah, speaking of Devin Booker, he's been um, pretty much on fire the last couple of games. He scored 30 points or better in three straight, and the game before that had 23. So, um, and obviously they've won all of those games. But um, we'll see big showdown coming up between the Suns and the Warriors. One of these teams has to lose. They're clearly the two teams that are far and away the best um, so far in the year. Warriors at 18-2, and two, Suns at 17-3. and three. So definitely will be a, a good game to watch. And I guess you can't really – um, leave the weekly recap without mentioning the four OT thriller between the Lakers and the Kings. LeBron James has been playing really well since returning as well. He's got 30 or better in three straight games, but um, the game against the Kings went to triple overtime. And unfortunately they do end up losing that game, but they did get 30 points, 11 assists and seven rebounds from LeBron. It's just that unfortunately it seems like I, alluded to earlier in an earlier podcast, they're going to need more than elite performances from LeBron James to be able to write the shit. Yeah. And I mean, they got a great performance from Russell Westbrook. Anthony Davis was the issue that game. He scored 23 points, but he had a plus minus differential of negative uh, 16 versus Russell had negative four. LeBron had negative seven. So Anthony Davis talked about we need more than triple-double machines. Well, I think the Lakers need more than a rebounding big man. I think that Anthony Davis loves to talk a big game, but he's the first guy to, I guess, falter for his team. You notice all the time Anthony Davis is quick to call out his teammates, but he never really seems to put any of the blame on himself or say that he needs to do better, which in reality, I mean, we do have to talk about Anthony Davis's performance. 
he so far we have been criticizing Russell Westbrook a lot for being completely ineffective from the perimeter, but Anthony Davis has actually been worse. Anthony Davis this year is probably going to be considered the worst shooting big man of all time. If he keeps it up at this rate, the numbers are actually um, unbelievable to some extent because he's at a point in his career that it's not like he's old enough that he should be declining he should be improving, you would imagine, still at the age that he is, but he is shooting 16.7% in the peak of his threes. prime. Exactly. It's so it just goes to show you that part of it is definitely mental, but he's declined across the board on all jump shots, not just three-pointers. He's shooting 16.7% on threes. That's the worst in NBA history for any player that has taken two attempts or more per game. He's also shooting 38% on mid-range jumpers, which is the worst in the NBA for any player that has taken 100-plus mid-range attempts. And he's also shooting 33% overall on jump shots, which is the worst in the NBA by any player that has taken 150 or more jump shots. So in reality, he's been the most ineffective player from the perimeter in the entire league. So um, it just goes to show you the Lakers' problems are bigger than just LeBron. They're definitely going to need some help with spacing. And I would be shocked if before the trade deadline, this team looks the same. Oh, I, I want a thousand percent would also be shocked. We'll see who they retool with though. Cause I'm sure that there are players who would welcome going over there, but their three biggest contracts. I don't really see them moving on from Davis or Russell and obviously not LeBron. So I don't really know who they'd be able to package uh, to get the type of shooting depth they need in order to actually contend. Yeah, I'm not sure because the other the other players that are seemingly available out there aren't really um, fits for them. They'd probably need some kind of damaged goods type player that probably has high upside but is in some kind of weird limbo right now, kind of like a Ben Simmons or a Kyrie Irving. But neither of those guys would solve their problems because Kyrie Irving, with his current vaccination stance and given the legislation in L.A., would still not be able to play for LA because it's going to be the same issue as the one in would. New York. No, I think he would be able to play in LA. I think they gave an exclusion to the. Oh, the they Lakers, did. To, well, that made, they, I think it was for Staples Center specifically, um, but the Warriors he couldn't play for. That would be um, probably the best case scenario. Although I doubt you want to trade Russell Westbrook for Kyrie Irving if you're the Nets. But I guess something is better than nothing. I mean, at least Russell Westbrook is going to show up. But um, And then the other guy, Ben Simmons, is not really going to solve your problem. He's going to present to you the same issues that having Russell Westbrook as your point guard does. I think so it would be worse. It, it probably would be worse because at least Russell Westbrook will attempt the jump shot. So, um, I mean, I don't know if that's, if that's a positive thing that you have Russell Westbrook attempting jumpers, but it's probably more of a positive impact than what Ben Simmons would do for you on that end, given the current construction of L.A.'s roster. Yeah, well, let's talk. go back to a team that's performing extremely well that is getting overlooked, and that's the Suns. They're red hot, on fire right now, uh, pun absolutely intended, but no one cares. They're on a 16-game winning streak. Uh, the Warriors are overshadowing them because they're one game ahead in the Western Conference, but the Suns have been better for longer at this point. So what are their chances of going back to the finals and where would you rank them in terms of like power rankings? So for me, I already had made the mistake last year 
of um, basically counting them out due to their relative inexperience. They really didn't have anyone on that roster that had any finals experience. And up to that point, um, the common thinking around the league is that you need to have some championship experience on your roster to be able to win the championship. And um, they didn't really win the championship, so they didn't achieve the goal. But the team that did win the championship didn't really have much finals experience either. So that argument goes out the window. And um, I think that their roster this year, obviously, it's just as good as it was last year. They have all the same pieces. You imagine that their younger guys will continue to progress. It's not like DeAndre Ayton is at his ceiling. He's going to continue to improve. Devin Booker is going to continue to improve. Chris Paul seemingly found the fountain of youth. He doesn't necessarily have to put up elite monster performances every day, but you know that he's a steadying force who probably is the better version of Kyle Lowry in terms of leadership, getting your offense set and getting the most out of all the pieces that you have. And they have great depth. It's all the same positives that they had last year. So especially when you look at the fact that the league overall is probably weaker this season than last due to injuries and random things that have happened with um, COVID regulations and such. But I would probably say that the Phoenix Suns, I have to give them the number three spot in my power rankings just because the Golden State Warriors are still probably going to be over the top of them when they get Clay back. If Clay Thompson returns at just 80% or better than what he normally is, I feel like that's enough to put the Warriors head and shoulders above everyone else for the time being. And then you always have the imminent threat of the Nets as well. The Nets don't have as good of a record as the Suns, but they have the potential to be a scarier team in the playoffs if they can get something back for Kyrie Irving or if he decides to finally get vaccinated and show up. I think that maybe have a little bit too much firepower for the Suns to keep up with, but they do have that liability on defense. It's just my faith in Kevin Durant is probably a little bit higher than my faith in Devin Booker when it comes to the game being on the line. So I'd go ahead and put the Suns solidly as the third most likely team to win the championship. Yeah, I, I probably agree with you. I'd put them in a three or four spot, depending on the, the jazz are also really good. And I think that the jazz are better than the record reflects. Uh, they have a better differential and uh, have more of a defensive presence than I believe the Suns have, but the warriors are just filthy right now. They have the point differential of 14, uh, just about and this is a team that doesn't have one of the best two-way players we'll see how he comes back but in clay thompson and then james weissman who you have to imagine uh will be better as he progresses and gets more playing experience and playing time overall so i i just don't think anybody are catching the warriors this year they just look like they're on a tear and i said this last episode i think that they have a better chance to beat the Jordan and their own like win loss record and get to 74 and eight this year, because they're the last, let's see against the Raptors. They beat them by 15 points against the 76ers. They beat them by 20 points, trailblazers, 15 points, Clippers, 15 points. And They've had a close game with the Pistons that was probably an anomaly for them overall, but handled the Nets, handled the Cavs. I mean, they're, they're just on a tear this season. And you get back 
one of the best players in the NBA in Clay Thompson, and you get back a, a raw, talented big man, I their defense is going to get better. Their offense is going to have another weapon to open up the floor and allow Steph to cook. So I, they're, they're just far and away number one to me, and I don't see any team going best of seven with them or even best of five in some cases. Right. I mean, obviously a lot can change throughout the year with injuries and such, but if they remain healthy, it's going to be a tough team to beat. And we haven't even talked about Kuminga and the potential growth that he may have throughout the season. Obviously a very talented player, Jordan Poole, a young guy, Gary Payton, another young guy who you would imagine are still going to continue to progress throughout the year. So um, they definitely have a great situation on their hands. Every season that the Warriors have began with a record of 16 or two, or 16 and two or better, they have gone to the finals each of those times. Um, and all of those occasions coming during their dynasty years with Curry and Durant. But um, each time they made it to the finals, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them there again. Regarding the Jazz, I can't put them with the Suns just because I feel like the Jazz don't really have the same gear as some of these other elite teams on offense. I think that they're very reliant on Donovan Mitchell generating the offense for them because their second best player, Rudy Gobert, is always going to be an offensively flawed player that when comes playoff time is going to be a problem for Utah to be able to get around on offense. Teams play, basically stack the paint, just know that Rudy Gobert is in the threat from outside and make it tough for Donovan Mitchell to score. And that's why you see so many of the Jazz's plays break down to Donovan Mitchell isolations because they can't really get anything going from Rudy Gobert outside of the paint. So given his offensive limitations and given that they don't really have anyone else outside of Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson off the bench that can create their own shot, I don't really see them having the offensive firepower to keep up with these other elite teams. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens coming down the stretch, but let's talk about a Nuggets team that is experiencing the injury bug, I think, uh, at a larger rate than any other team right now in the NBA. Just announced today that Michael Porter Jr. will be out indefinite, indefinitely with uh, back surgery. Uh, he's, as you know, somebody who had back surgery before coming in to the NBA, and that's why he slid to uh, 14 in his draft to the Nuggets. He just signed that large $172 million extension in the offseason and had been searching for non-surgical operations or, or things that he could do and it just turns out that unfortunately that's that not the case currently and he's gonna have to have surgery so he's out with the back issue Jamal Murray is still out with his ACL tear that he experienced last year and recovering from that Jokic has been with a nagging wrist issue so they're big three all out from the Nuggets, how do you think that this impacts their overall playoff chances and what they're trying to do over there in Denver? This is really tough if you're a Nuggets fan to watch. The Nuggets at this point have lost six in a row. Um, I mean, it's not really their fault. They have not been at full strength. You hate to see it from Michael Porter Jr. You know what he can be when he's healthy. We've seen glimpses of the kind of game-changing talent that he could possibly provide. His ceiling is probably one of the highest in the whole league. I really do believe that his potential, not necessarily that he'll reach it, but his, his potential, I think, is one of the highest in the entire NBA. So it really is tough to see for a big man 
Um, another lower back surgery. We already saw how this can affect big men like Dwight Howard turning a very elite big man into someone who's only a rotational player now. So um, we really hope that he can come back healthy so we can see the type of player that he can become because we know that he's a game-changing talent. But um, I still do think that even though the Denver Nuggets are 9-10 and 10 right now and find themselves sitting outside the top eight in the West, that they will still sneak into the playoffs. Jokic will eventually come back, has the highest PER in the league, is having an, MV an MVP caliber year. And I think that just having Jokic alone return is enough to make the Nuggets at least a bad playoff team. And you know that Jamal Murray is going to return at some point. So having that will definitely help a lot. And we already saw that the Nuggets with Jamal Murray alone um, and, and Jokic, just having those two, were able to make some pretty deep runs in the playoffs. So they didn't really feature Michael Porter Jr. or need him very much to have a massive impact, those two guys on the court. So I still think that there's plenty of time left in the season for them to get Jokic and Murray back and get back into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, I agree that they'll sneak in, but I think it's going to be from a play-in game perspective. And if they do end up getting Jamal Murray back sooner rather than later, and then if MPJ is able to make it back this season, then maybe they become a, a like sneaky underdog team that gets in from the play-in and could crack a two-seed or three-seed um, at, at some point. But I, I just think that this season – with this news, uh, while Jokic is going to have an MVP caliber season, I don't think they have enough around Jokic to make an actual deep run. And if we've seen anything from Jokic, it's that when he's losing, he gets very uh, aggravated and it bubbles up for him and he doesn't play his best uh, and, and lets his emotions get the best of him. So I see a lot of that uh, coming in the future. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see what happens. I think it's largely just going to depend on their, their health status. So um, if they're healthy, they're one of the more talented teams in the West. If they're not, they're probably going to miss it. But um, I guess we'll see. I definitely expect them to be, at the very least, a playing team when it's all said and done. Yep. Well, speaking of a uh, playing team or a team that is destined to win another championship, I think the Bucks made the signing of the season and now they're a lock to repeat because DeMarcus Cousins has now signed and is with the Milwaukee Bucks. So with Boogie going over to Milwaukee, uh, what do you think he brings to the team? And do you feel that they're a definite lock for the championship rerun? In my opinion, I actually don't think that the signing of DeMarcus Cousins really moves the needle that much for them. I really don't because in reality, I think that what they were trying to go with here was they're trying to increase their toughness and their presence inside. I think that losing P.J. Tucker was a loss that probably hurt them a little bit more than they were expecting. But the thing is, Demarcus Cousins is not a good defender, not inside or outside at this point in his career. Unfortunately, as much as I would like to see him succeed, I'm a fan of his. I just don't think that he has the ability to move laterally well enough to stay in front of guys and not be a total liability on defense. And then there's also the health aspect. DeMarcus Cousins has not played more than 
30 games since the 2017 season. And that season he played 48. That was the last one before he had that season ending injury in New Orleans. Ever since then, his best season has been with the Warriors where he played 30 games and had a season ending injury then as well. So since then, we've seen him return for the Houston Rockets, the impact he had there. He played 25 games. He got his minutes. He got 20 minutes a game. And he only shot 37% from the field for a center, which is really low. 33% from three, which is serviceable for a big man, but it's not really what the Milwaukee Bucks need. They already have a very effective stretch big in Bobby Portis and another one in Brooke Lopez. So I know they want this guy off the bench, but is he really going to get many minutes over Bobby Portis? Um, I just don't know. I think that it's going to be nice to have his presence. He can give you some spot minutes. He'll probably get something like, 15 minutes a game and he'll be able to provide some offense, especially against bench players. I'm sure he'll be able to get you seven, maybe 10, maybe even in the teens every now and then against bench level competition. But I don't expect DeMarcus Cousins to be on the court for the Bucks in crunch time in the fourth quarter when it matters most. So I really don't think that this really moves the needle for them. I think it's just depth at best. Yeah, I was definitely being facetious about at them being a lock. I don't really think this moves the needle as well, but right now Lopez is out for uh, a couple games. I agree with you that it provides them a bit of depth and it does reunite DeMarcus with Drew Holiday from their New Orleans days. So we'll see if that helps reinvigorate or get DeMarcus to uh, some semblance of where he used to be uh, before that Achilles tear that really ruined everything for him. So I wish Boogie the best, and uh, we'll see how this impacts the Bucks overall. Yeah, I really am rooting for him. You got to give him his credit. Every season has a season-ending injury, and he comes back, and he continues to try to fight to find a place in the league and show that he can provide some positive value for somebody. So I would love to see him get on a team and get some playoff time and some meaningful minutes because he really was one of the most dominant centers in the NBA when he was healthy. It's been really unfortunate to see the massive drop-off since his injury. But um, who knows? Maybe he can give the, the Bucks a couple 15, 20 minutes a game if he is somewhat healthy this year. So we'll just have to see what he looks like out there. Now we just need Isaiah Thomas back, and we're good. <laughs> the all-injury squad. Yeah. Well, to our final segment, arbitration. We will present a couple cases. I will act as one party. You will act as the other. And we will deliberate to try to get to a, a just resolution. All right, let's do it. All right. First one, I will be representing uh, John Wall, whereas you will be representing Houston as John Wall is trying to play this season. And Houston appears to be uh, trying to get tickets to Blowout City to tank for the season. All right. All right. So look, you know, my, my client, John, he's trying to play this season. He's trying to up his value right now. He knows that on a bad team like the Rockets, he would be able to easily put up 20 points a game. You'd really be able to, to help some of the young guys uh, learn how to shoot the ball. And, uh, you know, last season for you guys, he put up, 20 points per game, really impressed all of you with uh, being able to come back from a couple seasons not playing and with the injuries that he had. He still showed he had some in the tank. So, look, I think if you guys just let him play for a little bit, let him 
ball out, show what he can do, then you'll be able to probably flip my client for a couple picks and be able to, to get out from under his contract and allow him to go to a championship team. Cause I know you guys didn't win in any of that for the next couple of years. Fair enough. I see your point. Um, as an organization, we do see that you do still present some positive value on the court. Last season, you did play 40 games. You averaged 32 minutes a game, showing that you can be healthy in stretches. You did average 20 points a game during that time span. But the thing is, I don't really know the whole thing about letting the youngsters learn from him is really all that beneficial. I mean, you did shoot 40% from the field. 31% from three, and you averaged 18 field goal attempts per game. And you're also a guard. Right now, we know that you're not going to be part of Houston long-term. We know that our future is going to be Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr., or at the very least, we're committed to figuring out if those guys can be the future. You play the same positions that they play. And those 18 field goals a game that you're taking are field goals that they're not going to take. And as much as we'd like to have you playing again, you refuse to come off the bench. You say that you're a starting level player. There's no way to start you, Jalen Green, and Kevin Porter Jr. all at the same time. That would be a nightmare um, sizing-wise and defensive-wise. So as much as we'd love to have you, you've made it very tough to move you. You're not willing to negotiate on a buyout. You want your entire $172 million, and you're also not willing to come off the bench and play a role. I'm sorry, John, but I need to tell you that probably any team looking to acquire you is probably going to want you off the bench unless they have some significant injury, because I don't think that you are a championship caliber starting point guard right now. So unfortunately, I think that you need to come to terms with reality and understand that you're not the John Wall that signed the $147 million contract anymore. You are now the John Wall that's looking for a team that can assign him a role where you can be productive. You're trying to come back. You're not an established commodity and you should be happy with any role that we're willing to give you. Well. I agree that may not be the John Wall of years past, but that's why I'm not taking any sort of buyout because if I take a buyout, I'm going to be struggling to find a contract anywhere that is more than the vet min. So I'm going to uh, save every penny from this and honestly, keep me on the roster. See if I care. Houston has no state income tax. So as long as you guys don't trade me to uh, the Bulls or to LA teams, then I'm just going to continue to to bankroll this. And I really appreciate you guys getting me out of DC where I had to pay a little bit more in, in taxes. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, for this situation, obviously it's tough. You have a player that is a productive player just sitting on your bench that could definitely make a positive impact. But John Wall truly is unwilling to budge on any of his demands. He wants to start. He wants all his money. So I think that's the solution here would probably be to make a compromise. John Wall doesn't want to compromise on his money and he doesn't want to compromise on his role. He can't have it both ways. I think that what the best thing would be is understandably, you're not going to get that money um, back elsewhere right now. So, all right, fine. Keep your whole contract, but you have to be okay with coming off the bench. And besides, I feel like that would be a good thing to do for him to get moved because probably teams want to know, can this guy come off the bench? Like, is he going to be a problem? You don't want to bring a guy into your locker room that's going to start causing problems in your team because of playing time and role and issues like that. You want a guy that's going to come in and he's going to understand the assignment. And he's not going to bitch about it. And he's going to go play the role that you told him to play. So I think it'd be best for John if he just is at least willing to negotiate on his role 
if he's not going to negotiate on the money. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, moving on to somebody whose role has uh, changed a little bit, or at least he's trying to. Uh, you will be LeBron, and I will be the NBA, as LeBron has swiped at Isaiah Stewart and then hit with a fine for an obscene celebration versus the Pacers on the last week of play. So as LeBron James, I truly do believe that I am guiltless at all times. I would never do a dirty play, and I also never do anything obscene. I expect that the league will always have my back. As a matter of fact, if a fan says a couple of offensive words to me, I feel entitled to grab the referee over, bring him over to the fan, and get them kicked out of their courtside seats. I am the king. I am the one who makes it so that your TV deals are so profitable. The league is what it is because of me. People hate me and they love me, but regardless, they're going to watch me. So I think that based on that, I should be treated differently than the other players. I understand that grabbing at your crotch area is a finable offense, and I know that rule, but I also have plenty of money and I would rather boast and take a small fine than not be who I am. I don't think that I should be punished for being unsportsmanlike. I feel like people are unsportsmanlike to me all the time. And obviously I was not trying to punch Isaiah Stewart in the face. If I wanted to punch him in the face, I would have. He would have been on the floor. Do you see how big I am? I'm a big, strong guy too. I definitely would have been able to lay him out if I wanted. So it's not that it was a punch to the face. It was an inadvertent graze. He was hanging on me. You saw the replay. So if anything, he saw it, he deserved it. Well, LeBron, uh, you know, I, I appreciate your candor and I appreciate you coming to let us know what was going on there. Uh, Rich Paul did give us a call afterwards and said that the gesture you're making at the Pacers was in celebration of Christmas. You were trying to hang ornaments um, from from down there. So uh, he, he did try to cover for you, but I, I'm glad that it was uh, just the gesture that you made because uh, you you have some money and you can afford it. Um, but LeBron, as a league, uh, you're getting aged out. And Bronny, while he seems good, doesn't seem like he's going to be uh, your your highness and uh, the, the prince that overtakes the king. So I think that, um, you know, while we have enjoyed having you here, uh, there is a bit of recency bias in any sport and in any league. And that there is a changing of the guard happening in the league. And so if we don't set this example with you, then – we're allowing these new cats to come in and to understand that they're just able to get away with whatever it is that you do because you have been the face of the league for so long. So uh, look, we will take care of fans that are being unruly towards you and kick them out. But if you uh, continue to show non PG moves on television or swipe at young players, regardless if they probably won't make a roster in the couple, next couple of years. Uh, we're going to have to suspend you. And we're going to have to find you. And uh, that's, that's just the end of it. Yeah, honestly, the whole situation with LeBron, it's, it's just been a interesting season for him because I think a lot of this is coming out of the Lakers lack of success. He almost feels like he has to assert that he is the man because the record is poorly. It's almost like he's feeling like he has to compensate kind of how a Napoleon complex dude, tries to overact like he's an alpha male by making overt gestures. I feel like LeBron is doing something similar right now because the Lakers are struggling and he doesn't want people to, to feel or interpret that 
as he is declining. So he feels like, well, since I'm the king, I'm going to go ahead and boast and make these obscene gestures. I mean, I've never seen some of the things that LeBron has, or some of the things that LeBron has done from anyone else. Like, for example, obviously there is a limit to what you can say as a fan. You can't just say anything and expect not to be kicked out of the game. But I've never seen a player literally grab a referee by the arm and walk them over to the fan and point at them and be like, them, them, you kick them out. They can't be here anymore. I mean, I've never seen that. And obviously fans are going to heckle. I mean, I'm not saying that it's justified, but fans used to say way worse things than they do today, I'm sure. And you never saw that happen. So I really do think that part of it is LeBron is just trying to show via non-basketball gestures that he is still the king in his own way, I guess. And as far as the Isaiah Stewart hit, I mean, there was no question that that was a shot to the face that was a flagrant. He can't say that it's a graze when the guy is bleeding all over himself. You can't call that a graze. You can at least own up to the fact that it was an inadvertent shot that was a, um, a hard hit. You can say you didn't mean to hit him in the face and you, you punched him by accident. You can say that, but don't say that it's a graze. I think that everyone at this point has video technology, can replay it and see that it was not a graze. So I think that this is just LeBron, the politician at works, trying to control the narrative saying that he grazed him, trying to make sure that he still appears as a very clean cut, follow the rules player. And even though he follows it up by making a scene gesture. But um, like I said, I think it's just LeBron trying to overcompensate for his team's lack of success right now. Yeah. Well, team's lack of success. And I just feel like he's, you kind of heard it once uh, he, he won the championship with LA. Like there was just a sense of like, he felt he accomplished everything he needed to. And now he's just like, I'm going to do what I want. And I don't really need to prove anything to anybody anymore, which apparently also means keeping his cool uh, during games or within the season. But last one, Steph Curry versus the refs. Curry got a technical for arguing no call and proceeds to catch fire and hit three straight threes and then gave the refs a technical of his own. Yeah, I'm sorry, Steph. Um, you're normally a really nice guy. You never really complain about any calls, but you can't ask for superstar treatment and react like that. This is not the first missed call. In retrospect, yes, we can see that probably it was a foul, but it's not like it was a flagrant foul and the guy hacked you. It was a play where you created the contact by jumping into the player who had no defensive position at that point. He was in the wrong defensive position. It was a foul, but it's not like this player overtly hacked you and we missed the call to have the kind of reaction that you did. I feel like reacting like that is exactly why we don't want to give you the calls because you're acting spoiled and entitled. Yes, we missed that call. We'll give you the call in the next one. We would have never given you the technical if you would have just reacted the way you normally do. You freaked out. You acted like LeBron a little bit for not getting that call. It was very uncharacteristic. So we had to tee you up. Well, refs, let me let me just say something. Um, if if you guys don't call it again, I'm going to be wearing three mouthpieces at the same time, and I will throw one at each one of you individually. And afterwards, I'm going to have you personally deliver them to me because I I am. I'm just the greatest and uh, that you, you saw my greatness afterwards. So keep, keep doing no calls because the Warriors are going to win the championship and I'm going to finally get my finals MVP unless Iguodala steals it from me again. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I mean, on that play, definitely it was a foul. For sure it was a foul. But it was a little strange to see Steph Curry's reaction, especially given that Steph Curry is usually a pretty mild-mannered guy. You never really see him freak out and lose his cool like that. But I guess for the Warriors, I mean, if you're a Warriors fan, you better hope that the refs keep doing this. Because if clearly what Steph's going to do is respond by hitting three straight threes and catching fire every time he gets a no call, then I hope the refs call it like that every game the rest of the year. But um, it is a little bit of an overreaction, I think. The league in general this year has not been calling as much on the defensive end. I think we've all seen that. So I think that for some players, it's reaching a boiling point. Dwayne Dedman, for example, um, ends up getting fined a ton of money for kicking a seat cushion into the stands. We've seen that things have gotten a lot more physical this year. Things are kind of um, reaching a boiling point, but that's just the way the game is being called. You can't be frustrated that you're not getting the calls. It's not like they're singling you out. This has been something that has been a point of emphasis, it seems, from the league this year. So I think that it's important for Seth to remember not to take it personal and to just play the game the way he always does. Yeah. Well, that's it for the show. Like us, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast player. We are Courts of Opinion on Twitter and Court of Opinion on Instagram. Also have a website at courtsofopinion.com as well. With that, I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. Curtis adjourned. Oh.